leaving out of the intro music can only mean one thing, and that is that uh, it's time for another episode of Both Laughs, the Dying Scene Quarantine Chat Show. This is uh, episode 39, if my math is correct. Uh, and honestly, it feels like we tricked this uh, particular show's guest into being here or won sort of a contest or something. Uh, his band has a new EP called Rim Value that's coming out next month. He's also become somewhat of an unlikely uh, Twitter slash social commenter uh, star. Ladies and gentlemen, Eve Six's Max Pollock. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jay. I, I appreciate it. And and uh, yeah, I'm I, I sort of feel the same way. I feel like I've, I'm I'm pulling a con or something like that. <laughs> so uh, I, I will say that that's that's a thing that I uh, greatly appreciate about you, both in the the Chevy Mustang persona that you have and in, in the Twitter thing, which I think is what most people uh, know you from more recently, is that you don't take yourself too seriously. And I love that because the scene, whether it's the punk scene, which is what I'm sort of mostly involved with, or the sort of 90s music scene, whatever, there are a lot of people who take themselves way more seriously than they probably should. And I I genuinely appreciate that you uh, take your take the piss out of yourself as much as anybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I think, uh, yeah, it's kind of just my natural state or something, and not just me. I mean, my band in general. Um, but uh, it also has kind of a utility because it does, uh, I feel like, um, allow or has allowed me to kind of touch some topics that maybe are serious, uh, but because I have this background of knowing how absurd that is, <clears throat> um, it, it kind of gives me license. So <laughs> it's this weird thing uh, that I haven't completely figured out yet. But uh, but yeah, I don't uh, take myself very seriously, and I I I I think have a yeah, I think that probably is sort of unique, maybe among band guys. Um, at, at least, least among frontmen. Their... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Frontmen. Yeah, for sure. Good point. Good point. Was that always the case? I mean, coming up, because you guys started young, uh, and and sort of became relatively famous relatively young. Um, was that always the case in the sort of idea of not taking yourself too seriously like that or or is that a change as you got older? um i think i think uh i mean i guess we've always been sort of innately uh kind of goofballs i guess however it's funny because i do think <clears throat> when like the first Eve Six record came out, and people realized that we were teenagers, um, and uh, kind of accused us of being, in the music at least, being kind of self-serious. And uh, um, I think, <laughs> I think lyrically, what was happening was, um, you know, yeah, we were, we were listening and influenced by. Um, you know, band, bands that, like, the the whatever wave of emo it was that ended up um, hitting and kind of crossing over, that hadn't happened yet. But the records we were listening to were 
um, very much in that milieu and uh, as well as punk rock stuff, as well as radio rock stuff. We just weren't telling our friends about that part. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, Jawbreaker, Dear You was the record that I probably listened to the most in high school while writing the songs that would end up being the first Deep Six record. And um, lyrically, I you know, I, I wasn't trying to do the whole um, like Descendants or you know, Blink-182 thing uh, in the songs. The songs were very lyrically kind of emo, TBH. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I think I think the a, a sort of the space that I have uh, between myself or my identity or whatever and the band and the body of work and its different iterations, you know, like uh, comes from uh, kind of having to cultivate that because if you don't, I think you're kind of after having success that that becomes like kind of problematic i mean i think you know because with the success comes uh people telling you you're great people telling you you suck you know if you if you if if you live there um you're you're gonna be kind of fucked up i think and because our band had you know a very you you know the the incline up was steep and the 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 descent back down the other side of the mountain was precipitous um like we we, we've had to develop that uh, you know perspective on it sort of see see it all see what's good about it all what's really funny about it all uh what's kind of tragic about it all and just uh have it kind of neatly compartmentalized do you think that uh this sort of just popped into my head as you were talking, but I, I can see the definite uh, overlap, especially lyrically, um, with, like you said, whatever whatever wave of emo that was. And honestly, I could be asked to care about what the different... Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like with Scott, like whatever. Uh, yeah. Whatever wave it is. But do you think that Eve 6 sort of got um, miscast or, or swept up maybe in a current that like, for example, because I could see Eve 6 being a punk band, and I think if you listen to uh, a lot of the albums, even even the last full-length, there are, there are probably more sonic um, connections to a band like Alkaline Trio, for example, than to uh, Matchbox 20 or whatever, or whatever, like, sort of, you, because you kind of got swept into that rock radio, yeah. but that, that also, like, adult not adult contemporary but whatever that sort of thing was um yeah do you think you sort of got miscast that way and was that a label thing or a band thing or just like starting too quickly it's a it's a great question i think uh you know we definitely share more influences with a band like alkaline trio than we do with with matchbox 20 or third eye blind or any of the bands that we we got lumped in with because of the time and place and sonics of the record i i think but i think also because we were so young 
when we made those records, so green, so inexperienced in the studio, um, all of that. We were, um, I mean, we were doing what we did in the rehearsal space. Um, like, it's not like we went in with the producer and everything changed wildly, but the presentation of it, um, I think, may have been um may have led to us being like sort of misunderstood or whatever maybe is also the reason why the record was a hit who knows you know um but i do think as time's gone by we've been uh we've been more appropriately or 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 accurately assessed um by by people who have who've sort of figured it out because we were you know we're only a couple years older really than our fan base um and, and and so they know i think they could hear the sort of some of those influences whereas whatever gen x uh music re reviewers were writing about the record at the time didn't didn't have a frame of reference for some of those other influences and that's not to say i'm not saying we came out with this like and made a punk record we didn't we did make a radio rock record it was just you know the the combination of influences was stuff like uh jawbreaker a band called the mooses which was one of our favorites from san francisco um a whole lot of the lookout record stuff um uh but we were also teenagers listening to the radio so it's like those worlds converged to make this you know eve six sound the way i think we sounded as well as a producer who had no idea what punk rock or emo was <clears throat> uh, making our record yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't quite considered it in that context until somewhat recently um but i think in looking back eve six was sort of realistically the biggest band that was my age or the first band that was my age that that sort of made it big but like the the punk thing that blew up in the early and mid 90s you know those guys i mean i guess blink 182 is sort of at the younger end of that spectrum but they're still five six seven there's, years older yeah they're me, still quite a bit older yeah well not quite a bit but you know old, older enough which i didn't even realize i sort of assumed i think when that was all going on that they were as young as we were yeah it was weird it it was a weird time and then to think back to well christ when i was 17 or 18 uh what i was listening to or what i was doing and then uh you guys were writing what became a multi multi-platinum correct did, did the self-titled record officially go multi-platinum back when that was a thing no yeah not quite it, it was like to be honest i don't know where it is now like when when it counted, it, we were at like 1.8 or something like that. Okay. So we were close to double platinum. Uh, when that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, when it was albums going platinum, right? right? And not uh, not songs. Um, yeah, it, and th there, are, there are like a thousand different directions that, uh, that I could theoretically steer this uh, conversation into. Um, but sort of in keeping with the idea of getting so big so early, particularly in your life, not just in the life of the band, but in your own life, 
And then fast forwarding um, to more recently, I know that it, May being Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, and you're sort of been <laughs> candid about some of that stuff, um, that you just celebrated a week or so ago, a pretty uh, milestone sobriety anniversary. I work my, my quote unquote uh, fake email job. I work in the substance abuse treatment um, field awesome. and, have, and have for 20 years. Um, oh, right on. So, so it is, but now it's, everything is on Zoom. So it's just weird to sit on my porch and do stuff like that. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, first off, congratulations on that because 16 Thank years you. is amazing. And then to realize how old you are and to have 16 years under your belt is is uh, amazing. Did that uh, that time frame of when you were, I think on Twitter you call it being in your cup or whatever. Yeah. Uh, did, did that start before the band or did that start from being uh, young and on the road or or was when did that that sort of period of your life really take hold? Um, yeah, it, it started later. Uh, John and I were both, um, you know, straight edge for all intents and purposes in high school. <clears throat> um, yeah, we, we didn't, uh, we didn't drink or do drugs at all. Uh, all of our friends did. Um, but he and I were both, you know, uh, abstinent and just you know we just the band was our thing um not even in a way where we were like hyper ambitious or anything like that it was just we loved doing it <clears throat> that's what we spent spent our time doing and our energy focused on um and you know i did i did do have uh, alcoholism in my family <clears throat> and was always sort of warned about it so I, I heeded that advice for for a time. Um, it wasn't until literally the night we finished mixing the first record um, at Electric Ladyland in New York City, and we went. It was Halloween night, and we went out um, after that to a to a restaurant with the label and producers and stuff. And that was the first night I got drunk. Um, the first night I I even had like my own. Uh, well, that's not true. There was one other time where I had like a cider with uh, <laughs> this like uh, street musician guy that I that I'd become friends with. <clears throat> but that was the first time I like really drank and got very drunk and threw up and all that. And uh, yeah, I I I think after that we spent. Um, months, uh, you know, touring in a van, which whenever I say that, and I know it pisses off bands that have to tour for 20 years or more or whatever, but uh, we did, you know, so it, it wasn't that, wasn't super conducive at the time to us, like, drinking a lot and stuff, and we were also still underage, so we, we would occasionally get, like, some beer on arrival, but not not normally. Um, it was when we got the tour bus uh, that that it started to to ramp up, and you know the very predictable succession of of events and you know feelings about relationship to uh, alcohol, where it 
you know, it very quickly became something that 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 I needed and that I was I, I could I, I was relying on something that worked really well on to um, to yeah to crowd out any of the insecurity and and self doubt and all of that stuff and just give me this feeling of uh, this intense feeling of relief allowed me to be the the person I felt I was supposed to be all of that all of that stuff and uh, you know we know how how that goes that yeah. just continued and progressed in all the predictable ways right. um, until. For whatever reason, I was one of those people who got sufficiently miserable and and decided that maybe there's another way. Um, and a lot of people don't don't hit that point or whatever. And that's for some people, I think that's probably okay. Like I know I do know people who you know drank the way I did, who still do. Um, and they're able to kind of manage their lives in a way that that works but uh yeah that, that wasn't something that i was capable of i think that people that are um familiar with the e6 timeline if you rewind to say 15 years when you when you quit drinking you guys were on what effectively was a hiatus at that point i mean it was sort of like broken up and then not broken up but that sort of coincided with what became the hiatus for for a while right yeah, that's that's right. We uh, the band broke up in two thousand three. Um, I wouldn't get sober till two thousand six, but uh, but but my drinking definitely contributed to, uh, you know, the band kind of moving off, going off the rails. Definitely contributed to the band, uh, you know, stopping for the time that it did. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't until '06 that I, uh, you know, yeah. had had that moment of clarity. Was there uh, when it came time to actually to start writing again and to start playing again as the band? Um, and now that you're like sober, was that a sort of different or challenging experience for you, or did you, um, because you had a little time under your belt when the band sort of got back together and went out for like how difficult was that for you? I guess is the short way of asking that. Yeah. Well, I didn't think it was going to be possible. I mean, I really didn't, and that was something that I would talk to my, you know, sponsor about, and and uh, talk to people who I was working with about, is that I didn't really see that that was going to be a realistic option for me when I was like. When I was new, I, I just I couldn't conceive of <clears throat> not just being on stage, but being out in that world on tour and negotiating the the feelings that go along with that without alcohol. <clears throat> I really couldn't imagine it. So, uh, I you know worked through that fear i guess and very slowly though like so we would we would book uh you know a one-off show and do that and then uh a month or two later there'd be another one and i you know incrementally got to the place where i was like oh i'm not going to just rush drugs uh to 
just want to literally train you. Um, I, I do have tools now that I can employ. And, uh, and as long as I do that, I can continue to do to do this. Was there anybody, uh, was there any sort of a roadmap for you? For, for lack of a better word, was there anybody that, um, whether they were in the scene or like scene adjacent or whatever, that sort of helped you realize that you could do it? I mean, it's one thing to have, obviously to have a sponsor and to have a, a group um, of people that you trust, but not everybody is a touring musician and not everybody understands the that which goes along with being a touring musician. Um, was there anybody that that uh, like sort of <clears throat> held your hand through that part of the process or were you kind of flying blind on that part, just knowing that you had enough tools? Um, per personally, like people in close proximity to me that I was I was talking to and seeking guidance from at that time were not uh, musicians or touring musicians. However, I did, you know, whenever I heard about or learned of uh, a touring artist who was sober and had been able to put time together, um, honestly, even if they, they did end up relapsing, because like that's, you know, with, with, with band, people in bands that happens just like, you know, it does with everyone else. Um, I found sort of hope, hope in that. And, you know, so much of uh, recovery <clears throat> is, uh, you know, is, is about that thing where it's like, I mean, people literally tell you all the time, if I can do it, you can do it. Yeah, right. So seeing examples of that in my in my world, I, I were, were definitely, you know, that was help, helpful to me, even though I wasn't necessarily going to those people at that, at that time. Uh, I, I did, I was coaxed into going to a couple meetings years prior um, by, by management, by the band's manager. And, uh, and the meetings that, and the, and the counselor that they had me see were very specific to like rock guys. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And, but I, I wasn't ready at, at the time. And, uh, but, but there were a couple guys, you know, in bands who went out of their way to like, you know, pick me up and take me to meetings and all that stuff. It just, that's not when it happened for me. It happened later. And when I was ready, I purposely uh, sought out, nor you know, normal meetings with normal fucking people, and you know, not like the whole celebrity thing. I just put you know, band guy meetings, yeah. <clears throat> um, and that I just felt more more comfortable in that in that environment. Um, have you then become to sort of flip that? the other side of the coin have you been have you then become that guy for younger uh people or newer in sobriety people who are musicians and have contacted you like hey i know you've been sober 8 10 12 15 years now can you sort of walk me through some of this stuff yeah i've had some people reach out to me uh you know in direct messages some just on the timeline and uh one just recently saying that they were a musician who had put together this little bit of time, um, 
and they were they were going to meetings and going to therapy and and wondering if I had any advice and I just said keep doing exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there was someone else who I was talking to actually a bit on the phone who reached out. Another musician uh, reached out and 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 messaged me and uh, yeah I mean I. I I tell people to do or offer them my experience, to, you know, tell, tell them, I don't tell them what to do, I tell them what I did, rather, <clears throat> which is a pretty specific thing um, that, that worked for me, and it's, yeah, so it's, it's pretty simple, and I appreciate it when people uh, reach out with stuff like that. Uh, thank you for talking about that stuff. I know that it's, it's maybe not... Uh the sort of conversations that I have with a lot of people and we'll certainly talk about new album stuff, but thank you for, for talking about that stuff because I think it's important. And I was just, uh, so the last episode of these that I did was with the guy who's the founder of an organization called punk rock saves lives, which is a fairly cool. new nonprofit. And then <laughs> like they launched just before COVID started, but we got to talking about, you know, the, the mental health resources or lack thereof, uh, for musicians in particular and for people in the scene in particular, how tough it can be to actually reach out and ask for help. And as I posted that, just on my own personal Facebook page, somebody who was another band guy reached out and said, yeah, you know, it can be uh, if, if you're on because this is the punk rock community. If you're on a thing like the Warp Tour years ago, there are at least like Kevin Lyman from the Warp Tour. I'm saying this is all about Warp Tour, but. They did a fair amount with music cares and agents and organizations like that and put on meetings like support group meetings for people who needed them that were on the tour. So it was a that was a pretty cool thing. But this guy yeah. said, yeah, that that can be it's difficult when you're not on a thing like Warp Tour, when you're in the van with a bunch of other dudes and you're the sober one. And oh, I, I've been there. I've been yeah. there. And it is fucking really lonely and really hard. You know, yeah. there's no. <clears throat> no, no sugarcoating it. When you're the only person in your outfit uh, who's not, you know, actively drinking and doing whatever, it's, it's no fun. Um, we're really lucky now because uh, John, the E6 guitar player, has been like the original guy. Um, he and I started the band in high school, and we're still doing it. And uh, and he's sober as well. And our our drummer now, like we have a fairly new drummer, mm -hmm. um, who you know is just like a teetotaler basically, like drinks like a normal person, as they say. Imagine and that. <laughs> it, yeah, and it's so nice. I mean, it's uh, yeah, I really feel for people who are who are in that in that situation, and and I think, um, yeah, it's a it's a personal and individual choice whether someone thinks that they can they can make it through like a tour a longer run or whatever in that environment and there's no medals one for valor or whatever if it if uh if you don't if you don't feel like you can i would say yeah um back to the sort of musical part and i'm always fascinated by by bands who get big on their first album and i know that that's a thing um, but because of the relative age when you wrote a song like Heart on a Blender that sort of blew up, 
and as my daughter was pointing out, 21 million views on YouTube. I have a 13-year-old, so that's the stuff that's sort of important. Those are the but, stats you but get. She, yeah, yeah. she knows that like dad's talking to somebody cool tonight because he's got 21 million 21 views million. On, on YouTube. What, first off, and then she was trying to do the math. Like she found a thing where it calculates how many views on YouTube turn into how many dollars. And I said, oh, no, I bet it's not that. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not that. <laughs> but did you realize when you were writing that song that it was like <clears throat> that it had hit written all over it? Or was that even like in your eyes on the self-titled record and when you were writing it, was that even the best song? I think it was the best song. Like I, uh, or at least there was something about it that I knew, you know, stood out. Um, and I do. I don't think the word "hit" was even in my lexicon at the time, but I do remember after getting the, you know, the verse and chorus of of the song that would end up being "it," um, showing up to school, whatever it was you know, junior year of high school, maybe senior year, um, telling John, our guitar player, that I, I felt like I'd, I'd written a song that could get played on the radio. Um, <laughs> and Was that the first yeah. one of your songs that, that sort of did that to you, that, that yeah. flicked that switch in your head? Yeah, it was. I mean, I think the fact that it was like halftime and not, I mean, most of our songs were like uh, a, a good deal faster um, especially at that time, we were, you know, emulating you know, our favorite punk bands and stuff. For the most part, <clears throat> that song, you know, had this like halftime thing. And I don't know, may maybe any song that I would have written that had been halftime at the time, I would have felt like <laughs> could get played on the radio. Right. But it was definitely the song that when I would just like play it on my acoustic guitar in my dining room at my parents' house or whatever, and the windows would be open, and like the neighbor would come over and be like, "That's." What is that? Like, play it again. <laughs> you know? So, it, you know, it's just fucking one of those weird X factor things. Who knows what, what it is. But, but uh, then at the same time, the if, if that's the one uh, halftime song, th then are the other guys in the band like, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> like we, we write faster songs than that. We're, we're more of a punk band. What is this? <laughs> yeah, thankfully not. Uh, yeah um i there was a song on record one that john our guitar player pushed back on hard he was like fuck this the song's stupid it sounds like fucking bush i hate it <laughs> and uh yeah he lost he lost that <laughs> that battle right. um because the producer liked it and uh yeah um, but it wasn't wasn't the heart and blender song. <laughs> At what point did it, was it early on that everybody just called it the heart and the blender song? My my mom always called it that. Like oh, really? my mom called it that from like the the moment that she heard it for the first time on you know forever. We always called it that. So and I always thought it was funny. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's maybe the most you know identifiable lyric in the song on a first pass so i i i i don't think that's the only time i heard it described that way but i always found it funny so when i did start the uh 
you know, doing my posting stuff, I, I referred to it as that. And people got a kick out of it. Are you sort of uh, amazed at how that sort of took off the between it's probably only been like six months or so now, but the real sort of hardcore shit posting for lack of a better word. But uh, are you sort of surprised by how almost overnightly that shit kind of blew up? I remember sitting at the dining room table uh, back in December or whatever it was, and we had just sort of finished dinner and I was scrolling through Twitter, which is uh, you know, weird. Uh, so yeah. to, to be able to do an interview where I could just like scroll through Twitter and read Luke O'Neill columns, because I know you guys know each other and he and I know each other a little peripherally. Uh, cool. And then to, to get to call it research is pretty awesome. But yeah, uh, I, I just like pissed my pants laughing so hard at some of like the, the early stuff. Did you realize at the time that it was going to blow up like that or were you just kind of having fun? Because that was amazing. No. Thank you. Uh, no, I didn't at all. I mean, I think with some of those early tweets, I, I knew I was kind of on one. <laughs> um, I thought they might do well for a fucking 90s band or, or whatever, a couple of them. I was like, oh, this is a good tweet. Um, but no, I didn't expect them to go viral and all, all, all of that. And when they did, I figured, you know what, I'm just going to keep going, like, and then have some fun with this. Well, and, and it's become uh, a thing. It's not just uh, 90s band shitposting, although I will uh, – I appreciate every time anybody takes a dig at the Third Eye Blind guys just because it's been 25 years. Um, but, but then there's also been this sort of, like, um, progressive uh, voice, which, which is, frankly, otherwise, I think, uh, pretty lost, uh, particularly amongst – the quote-unquote 90s rock community, if, if that's what we're lumping you into. Uh, mm -hmm. it, very few and far between are the more progressive, realist uh, voices. <laughs> so it, when did that sort of become part of it, too? A, because I'm glad it did, but B, I can under also assume that it's um, it might bring with it a little trepidation to dip your toes in those waters. Yeah, um... Well, I think some of it has to do, again, with the fact that most of our contemporaries in the rock world are like um, literal boomers or, or right. old, old Gen Xers. So uh, I think maybe they can be on sort of a different wavelength. Um, I don't know. I think my – Maybe not. I, I didn't necessarily articulate it to myself this way when I started doing the Twitter stuff, but it was like, um, you know, the kind of criteria that I was working with was like, is it funny and or true? Uh, if so, you know, do a quick, you know, extrapolating of possible the worst worst space reads or whatever. Um, then I then I push it out. So, um, kind of doing it as sort of an exercise in in rigorous honesty. That's not to say that I was just only trying to be virtuous or something. Like I think that's why it had that entertainment value at the same time. You know. Right. Um. So, yeah. Um. I I. I don't know. Like you mentioned, Luke O'Neill. I've I've been 
uh, I've been following him for years on Twitter, reading his, his newsletter, Welcome to Hell World, for a long time. Um, you know, a lot of the people that I now interact with online are people that I've been following and reading for, for a long time. And uh, so even though it might seem kind of, you know, psychedelic or something to to the reader for me it's just kind of where where i've where i've been at um for the last for the last few years so i I get that it seems uh you know maybe kind of like a, a, a shock or something but i think that again comes from us being lumped into categories that we don't really belong in anyway which which uh, sort of leads to two different questions. Um, I'll, I'll start with saying that just like you, I've sort of I've been a fan of Luke's for as long as I can remember now from his writing. Uh, and talk about feeling like I tricked somebody into talking to me. Uh, he and I, when I was before I started this job, I was in between jobs for a couple of weeks for contract reasons. So I met him for lunch or coffee or something like that one day at a place in Harvard Square. And we talked and I interviewed him. It was right around the time that the first book was coming out. <laughs> it's like, why is Luke O'Neill? Like, I sort of had this pedestalized thing, which which he would kick my ass for, a uh, view of Luke O'Neill as this sort of progressive um, voice. And, and so it was, it was amazing to be able to interact with him that way. Um, but speaking of being sort of lumped in to... Uh, a crew that you don't necessarily belong in. Did, <clears throat> how early in the, um, I would assume, the album cycle for the self-titled record, did that stuff sort of materialize? Did you end up playing on, like we were talking about the BCN River Raid before, with some bands maybe that you fit in with and some bands that are like, ooh. And, and were you getting asked to go on tours with, and I know a little bit of the history of the bigger bands that you've played with, but were you getting asked to, go out on tours with some of the, uh, let's call it new metal or butt rock bands that kind of make you go, at this point, go, ugh. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I know it It probably seems in, uh, or maybe seemed at the time to people like we fit very squarely into this sort of specific iteration of alternative rock or something. But the truth is, like, we we were always when when our first record came out there was hardly any electric guitar on alternative radio i think uh like third eye blind would have been an outlier um trying to think of other examples but i mean we were in that sort of weird phase where it was like a lot of that sort of like Bill and Fair or, or knockoff of that kind of vibe. Um, a lot of the whatever wave of techno that was, um, Fat Boy Slim and all that stuff. Oh, right. Um, I kind of forgot about that whole genre. <laughs> yeah, alternative radio wasn't uh, rock-centric at all. And then when we put out our second record, which was very much a pop rock record, like Duran Duran influence, you know, musically and uh, and stuff and melodic and there were synths and all of that stuff, that was at the height of the new metal thing. So 
we were always kind of coming at it from from the outside a little bit and yeah suffered the consequences of that uh big time because we would end up on bills all the time that were just like uh a cosmic joke you know for our band like especially on record too we were like doing festivals with like Papa Roach, Kid Rock, Limp Biscuit. Literally, those were yeah, the yeah. lineups. Yeah. And uh, and it was a total nightmare. And then the song from that record that ended up being a hit <laughs> that people don't usually know is us. It's like people either know our band for uh, the Heart and the Blender song or for Here's to the Night. And right. they often don't know that the same band did both songs. Yeah, I don't right, blame, right. blame them for that. <laughs> <clears throat> but so Here's to the Night was the hit off uh, the second record after the first two songs basically skipped. Um, and that only went to pop radio. So we went from playing with Kid Rock and Papa Roach on festivals to playing with like the Baja men uh, <laughs> on top 40 shows, uh, you know, and whatever, you know, Britney Spears knockoffs and, and stuff like that. So yeah, that's, that's always been our, our story is there's always just been, kind of outside of whatever the fucking norm normal sound is didn't you did you tour with bon jovi or open a few shows for bon jovi or something like that or was that festivals but in my brain there was like a like a bon jovi or sugar ray eve six tour or something like that yeah the sugar ray part wasn't a tour but we did do i mean we have toured with sugar ray but we we did a month long about I would say tour with Bon Jovi opening up. It was very funny. Uh, I mean, it was awesome. <clears throat> it was a lot of things, but um, the final night of that tour was at Giant Stadium, and Sugar Ray played it as well. That is uh, an amazing combination of I, I I don't even have all of the correct words to use. It's but too I, dissonant to even reckon with. Yeah. Open for the Jove uh, at Giant Stadium, yeah. and and I, I know how well made it. He's one A with Springsteen at Giant Stadium. Uh, yeah. And maybe at that point in time was probably uh, one to Springsteen's one B because he yeah kind of went off there for a while. Um, yeah. He that may have been like that's as big as it gets. Really, is that a is that a sort of a whirlwind experience do you understand like are you conscious of that as a 22 or whatever year old kid 24 year old kid at the time how awesome that is or was it just sort of like what the fuck is this <laughs> yeah i think it was both yeah. um i think a little bit more of what the fuck is this um while also realizing that it was it was pretty amazing i mean I think we really felt like we didn't belong there. I mean, the music fans didn't understand us <clears throat> at all. Um, and, you know, and it was, yeah, it was an absurd billing uh, from where we stood. But it was also, I mean, I when I was a kid, I had uh, New Jersey and uh, Slippery When Wet or whatever. Sure. Uh, cassettes and stuff. So it was, I mean, it was definitely surreal <clears throat> and it was, it was cool hearing those, those songs every night and stuff. But yeah, it was, it was weird. What a mind fuck, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk brief a little bit about the, the new EP, uh, which as I said before, 
trim value. It comes out, I think, officially what a month from now, maybe even a month from today. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. How long have these songs been in the works? Is this all since pandemic stuff, or is this stuff that you had kicking around before that had to get punted because the world stopped for a year? Um, John and I wrote and recorded these songs uh, in a fairly short amount of time toward the end of 2019, um, before everything shut down. And we, uh, I guess, sort of long story short is, I mean, the, the band for like the, la the past 10 or 12 years or whatever has been essentially like a live business and uh, creative stuff we've done elsewhere basically totally off the radar um stuff that people haven't really heard <clears throat> and, Chevy Mustang, uh, like i said before yeah that, that is a brilliant project by the way <laughs> thank you thank you i love it <laughs> thank you you're you're like the one person who gets who, who and, likes it <laughs> and truthfully i mean it's one thing to read the the uh the guy from e6 twitter right but if people had been following chevy mustang it's a little bit more in line with like that whole thing so just that if you were posting that shit as the guy from chevy mustang seven people yeah. would, would like it um no yeah chevy mustang definitely prepared me for this moment yeah. <laughs> you know i like said that before it's definitely definitely true um because the whole thing is essentially like a a, a, a troll um <clears throat> but yeah so in the band we've been doing to you know keep the lights on go out play the rock shows um and that's sort of where it's where it's lived um about three or four years ago now uh the original drummer left the band um he's a great guy and stuff but like uh you know creatively we were like very very divergent um for a long time to be honest and <clears throat> so um We, we had we had talked about you know why don't we get together just you and I and just see what see what happens and got around to doing that or John and I got around to doing that in late 2019 and just our um, you know we just we knew we wanted to make um, a kind of roots punk record that showed some of our influences that that. Um, hadn't been shown before and to keep it really unrefined and uh guitar based drums no no frills and and that's what we did and we did it real quick at john's studio which is you know his his apartment that he just recently moved out of in downtown la and uh and yeah got got those five songs together that that are the ep um and then decided to self-produce some videos that video for can we combine is pretty awesome uh Thank shout you. out to the to the juggalos <laughs> yeah which i i have not one but i have a, a, an affinity and respect for uh, respect yep it can be a thing that i don't understand but i put on them that yeah. uh, that sort of your idea to self-produce videos because i mean not not that anybody's really producing videos now during covid but so is that where that sort of idea came from is just ah, fuck it let's do it ourselves yeah I, I think uh you know at this point it's it's really fun for us to um kind of lean into the aspects of our bands 
uh, you know, the, the, the online stuff, the sound of the music, the general aesthetic um, that, that confuses some people, and that's fun for us. So I think, uh, <laughs> I think that's really just what, what we were doing with, with that. And, uh, yeah, just um, I, I do think we are actually going to appear in the next video for uh, the single that comes out next month we have plans to do that but yeah i just you know had, had the idea for actually the board game thing wasn't my idea it was it was the girls in the video that, that part was their idea <clears throat> i i i asked them if they'd like to to be in the new six video and they said yeah sure um how um how about we play board games? I was like, yeah, that's great. How about you, you do that with, with the Juggalo makeup? And they were like, yeah, that's great. And uh, and I was like, yeah, just shoot it on an iPhone, send it over to us, and we'll put the track on top of it. So that's what we did. That is a riot. That is awesome. And that is like a like a perfect uh, amalgam of the music industry in 2021. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. It's a great video. It's a great song. Um, I'm excited. Hopefully, I'll I'll link to all of these things in all the descriptions and whatever. So whoever's watching this or listening to it, but just scroll to the bottom and uh, I'll link to as many things as I can. Thank you for doing this. I know we're sort of up against time, and I don't want to take up too much of your afternoon. This is uh, this is really cool. Like I said, I felt like I when I saw the yeah, just DM me. Uh, I was like, oh fuck, okay. <laughs> I feel no, like we, tri great. we tricked somebody, but uh. But I appreciate you doing this. I, uh, That's how I feel every day. Yeah, well, no, this is a pleasure. This is imposter a pleasure, really. syndrome is a real thing, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, big time. 